This is Abroad in Education, a podcast where I unpack the international suitcase by focusing on EdPats and their experiences within education. I'm your host, Tiffany Lachelle. All around the world. Thank you for joining me in another episode of Abroad in Education. And today I have with me an EdPat named Christina. Say hello, Christina. Hi. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) So Christina and I are going to engage in a quick dialogue, just talking about her experience as an EdPat. And let's say right now you are visiting what country? I am in the Netherlands on a seven-day tour of universities in Holland. So far, I've been in Amsterdam, um, Groningen. Um, Right now, I'm in Maastricht. I'll be visiting two schools down here. Then we'll be going over to Rotterdam and The Hague and wrapping things up back in Amsterdam. And so um, with more and more kids exploring um, Europe as an option for study for their college education, I get the chance to kind of see some of these schools in action and and bring notes back to my students. And I actually love the fact that you are in or going to going back to Amsterdam. I feel like when I grow up, that's my home. That's my second home. Like it is something about that place. (laughs) The vibe is amazing. It's so amazing. Like I almost want to ride a bike. For real. For real, you want to just get involved. Yeah, (laughs) it's so funny. It's so interesting because I feel like a lot of people already have this preconceived notion about what Amsterdam is. Of course, you have the. It's definitely not legal, but you have access to marijuana. You got the red light, blue light district. Right. But one of the things that I love most is just the history. Like going to that Anne Frank Museum. Oh my goodness. I didn't even make it there, but I did a walk. Um, so I like to use, uh, when I'm in Europe, I use uh, Rick Steves Audio Guide. Okay, and yeah. you can download um, different walks. And so his walks will take you through the architecture, stories about the neighborhood, history, and little-known spots that you would not have come across on your own. Like on, one of, on his city walking tour, I have a thing about, I don't know if it's the latent Baptist in me or something like that, but I have a thing about churches. I, I love churches. I love places of worship. Mm. So I'm walking on this walk with Rick Steves in my ear and across from a McDonald's on a busy street in Amsterdam, it looks like a nondescript house. You open up the door, it's a freaking Catholic church on the inside because of the persecution of Catholics during a time in Amsterdam, a place that you think is just kind of free to practice whatever you want to. But for a period of time, if you were Catholic, you had to hide your faith. Wow. And so it was, it was a place that looked like a house on the, on its face. And then you open the door and you go through a skinny turnstile. And next thing you know, you're in a Catholic church like with like, Scenes painted on the walls and like intricate stonework and an altar and stuff like that. I love discovering stuff like that or being led to places like that. I was trying to go to the Aunt Frank house, but I couldn't get tickets. But walking past, knowing that the church nearby was her sounding bell when it was time to come out of the attic for a Mm -hmm. little bit. 
and in front of that church is a statue of Anne Frank. It's it's that kind of stuff that's just amazing. I love mm-hmm. a lot of history. I love places that are just like like they are who they are on their face. It's not like anything. It, you just a, a Dutch person is just a Dutch person, and they just, they're just really straightforward. They are who they are, and that's how they roll. And mm-hmm. I can always like enjoy living in a space like that mm-hmm. yeah and this is it was been it's been a great trip so far for sure Good. I'm glad and and it's funny that you say that because the the connection between the house being a big church and you know even the fact that the Anne Frank story was her being behind what was it the refrigerator or something like she was in this door behind the attic or up to the attic yeah. like those little private spaces like where a bookcase right yeah. right behind the bookcase Um, but just thinking about how you had to hide pieces of yourself or, you know, the whole concept of hiding, like, I think that's, it's really amazing that you found that the church. So, so that goes a little bit into, tell us a little bit about where you were originally from and then your personal EdPat journey where you are now. Okay. So I am born and raised in Gary, Indiana, which is, um, like a black city, black people. (laughs) But I grew up in an area of Gary, Conlowood Beach, that always had a variety of different kinds of people. And so, um, you know, in my my high school, Gary was not very diverse, but my high school was diverse. Like, you had, like, your few white kids, and it's like, my best friend down the street was from Mexico, and stuff like that. And so, Growing up in that environment and going off to school, I always had an affinity to want to travel and see the world, and I got a chance to do that as an undergrad um, and and go to England to study for six months. And coming back, I always had this plan to go abroad, but um, time goes on. You start Mm -hmm. to work. You start to make these adult decisions and you think that you can't follow a dream. And, um, I got into a place in my, okay, I'm getting, I'm just going to very well. So I was in a relationship. I was at this point, I had transitioned into education because I did not want to go into education at first. I was mm-hmm. like hardcore community organizer, let's change the world. Then I was, um, I'm a licensed social worker and I was working with foster um, kids transitioning out of the system in Indiana. And so it's always, I always end up falling into this college realm of helping kids go to college or figure out what they're going to do with their adult lives. Mm-hmm. And eventually ended up in a school. Um, at 30, I was in a serious relationship and um, I had a miscarriage and mm. I, um, I was very grateful for that to happen. And the sense that I wasn't prepared for having a kid, that's for sure. But mostly I was not in that space where I knew this was not the person I'm supposed to have a relationship with that I had, that oh, God had I other see. plans for me. Okay. And um, I just kind of woke up and I was like, well, how am I living my life? And how am I like doing the things that I have always wanted to do, which was travel and help people and and see the world and, and be a blessing to someone else. And I stopped getting scared. I just was like, fuck it. I'm right. just going to go for this. Go. And, <laughs> and go for I cuss a lot. I'm sorry. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was like, okay, I need to do this. And then the, the right things kind of aligned. Like um, 
my dad was laid off for a little bit at the time. So like I was living at home with my parents because still most clothes, I had to help out in the household. My siblings weren't around. And then all of a sudden when I kind of made this, like when I realized that I was, that I started to listen to that little voice on the inside, um, things started to fall into place. Siblings started to move back home. Um, my dad started back work again. My mom oh, um, was still holding down the floor. I moved out of my parents' apart- house again. And it was just time for me to do the things that I've always been called to do. And, and that's what happened. And I just started researching. I've, you know, I've researched, you know, schools in the world and how to work abroad. And I just went for it after that point. Mm-hmm. Didn't plan on Kuwait. I wanted to be in the continent of Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think a lot of black expats especially want to work in Africa. That's just like, you know, we're just kind I'm of going home. Way, you know? Right. <laughs> but the more I researched uh, and the more I uh, talked to people and the more I've met, uh, and I started meeting, I volunteered a lot in Chicago with um, Chicago Public Radio. And I was starting to do more events on on Devon, off of Devon Street, which is a high Middle Eastern area, and other parts. And I started, and I went up to Dearborn for something with a friend of mine. And Dearborn is a heavy um, Iraqi um, population, you know. And again, I I am a, I'm a lover and appreciator of how people worship their God. Oh, and, yes. And I just was like, I can I can totally dig working in the Middle East. I mm-hmm. I like the culture, of you know the people the way they celebrate family, how like black some of the moms are, you know, when they're talking to their kids, Girl, you know, it's just oh like, it's something very familiar. And that's the thing. I, I don't, and, and I, I ended up in Kuwait. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting that you say that because I, and you and I, we have visited, you know, so many countries around the world. And I'm telling you, right. I have never felt home until I went to the Middle East. I mean, even in Morocco, in in Abu Dhabi, I'm like, it is something that is so familiar about this space. It's something very familiar about it. You know, like, like the kids can be ratchet and at the same time, (laughs) like they're endearing. And then it's like, (laughs) the parents, like, you know, I, I see like the parents as like parents I used to work with in Gary when I, I worked in the really poor district. Well, Gary is a poor city. And then like I worked in the poorest district in the city. But like how they were just like lost on how to help their kids because they didn't know exactly what to do. Mm. And at the same time, they wanted to give their kids this independence because they weren't quite sure how to give it to them. It's like that is a constant conflict. And they always go back to God to like find their, their sense of strength, mm. their source of strength. Mm. And it's something that's just kind of, I fell, I fell into it. I didn't even realize how much I fell into it until I started working in the environment for yeah. sure. I love that. So Christina, let's trail back just a little bit because you were telling us about mm-hmm. um, when you decided to go to Kuwait and especially because you are a counselor Give me a little bit mm-hmm. about that journey, looking for jobs, being a counselor. Like, what does that look like in international school? Well, um, being a high school counselor, I was, um, I did all levels, but I loved, I loved the high school part the most. And um, doing the, doing just a little bit of research, everyone, all the research legions, the teaching part, they never does in detail about the counseling part. And, um, 
I just started, I went on the State Department website page and I started looking at the schools and how they organize their counseling departments. Mm-hmm. How do, what do they call their counselors? Because some of them call them something totally different. Do they do a comprehensive program 9 through 12 or do they do just college counseling? Where do the kids go to school? What kind of tests do they take? Stuff I never like heard of the IB until I started researching yeah. international schools. Yeah. And I was like, then I started researching. Then I, I like to go down like, I'm totally like, I'll take a research item and I just go down a whole nother rabbit hole with it. And so then I started like digging into IB. It was like, how can I work in an urban school? <laughs> all this other good stuff. I, <laughs> I just started doing all this research about it. Eventually I knew that the smartest thing was to sign up with a service. And like, mm-hmm. there, I never, um, a lot of people were like, had T, uh, the TIE or the International yeah, Educator online. online or TIE online, mm-hmm. what have you. But like parts of it, I didn't like it because I felt like some of the ads were just like shady. And like, again, going with that inner voice and knowing like, if this doesn't really sound right or feel right, then this is not something that you want to apply for. And then like looking into the different, um, Agencies and at the time it was only like two big ones, and that was ISS, mm-hmm. um, International Student Services, and Search Associates was the other one. And it was something about the ISS model of the uploading of your stuff. You had like a little mini interview with the recruiter once you even indicated that you wanted to work abroad, so they mm-hmm. can help like narrow down your information. The fact that your fare was included in your cost. That, it was that kind of stuff. It, it felt very holistic to me. So I went with ISS to mm-hmm. upload my information. And I liked the fact that I had, I used the service. And yes, it cost money, but like it had housed everything I needed. I felt like the search part was very comfortable. And because the fair was included, I, I went to a fair. They had a whole separate two days for counselors before they opened it up to the teachers in Boston. I hate crowds. I really do. No one believes me on this, but like I hate too many people in the space and I hate job fairs because I think they're just bullshit. And like, (laughs) so the counselor fair was like perfectly right up my alley um, because it wasn't as crowded. Mm -hmm. And I had some interviews lined up before I even got to Boston because I had a moment where I I definitely doubted my ability because like you read the profiles of the counselors who work at these stellar schools and these are people who grew up internationally and most likely white most likely male or if they are female they went to an IV you know they have this pedigree Mm. and I'm just this homegirl from Gary and (laughs) who loves kids and who loves who loves research and loves everything about colleges and growing up and being part of the process ISS when I started getting emails from various different schools wanting to talk with me I was like okay all right we can do this mm-hmm. let's do this mm-hmm. and the um the Boston Fair I remember that's when I had to tell my principal what I was doing right because they needed a reference as uh, I only gone for a week <laughs> and like in a little charter school where you like do everything you can't be gone for a week but I was like, dude, listen, um, number one, I need for you to fill out this form for me. Right, because I'm That's leaving. Number one. And number two, <laughs> I'm going to a job there because I want to work overseas. And um, he was really supportive of, of that transition. And I didn't even tell my dad. So, my mom knew. 
so let's let's go a little bit further into this i'm going overseas i want to go overseas mm -hmm. i'm going to sacrifice everything that's in front of me sign this paper because this is going to happen i know you said that mm -hmm. you had some experience in high school but what is this? Where does this come from? Like, what does where does this inkling to just be like, I'm going to leave all this, my family, the job, everything behind, and I'm not going to another state. I'm going to another country. Like, where does that come from? You know, I, I do chalk it up to, to faith. All the things I've done in my life and the risks that I've taken in my life is knowing that I have a home to come home to. I my family has always been supportive of everything that I've ever tried to do. And when you come from a, a group of people who love you that much that they know that you just have to try and do, they're going to let you try and do. Mm -hmm. And and my mom, my mom would say, I've always been like this. Like I would go <laughs> to a camp and like, I will research camps and like find a scholarship and get accepted and get in and like my parents are like okay well just we just we don't have to let her go but we'll drive her to the camp I love <laughs> that's that. just always been my personality okay. but I, I think it comes from that level of comfort of knowing that even if I fail there's people who love and support me no matter what mm -hmm. I knew that like going overseas to work was going to be a risk to a country that people didn't know about to an area of the world that Americans don't get or understand was a risk. But my parents also trusted me fully to know that I will do a, I'll do my due diligence in checking everything out. And they know that like God is going to watch over me as I'm in the process and they, they, and they let me go. And so like, because they are my family, they, they are that kind of people that gave me the freedom to do it, mm -hmm. you know? I um, love that. But, I, but again, I didn't tell my dad right away. <laughs> you had to hold that my off till did. later. So what was the dad's, <laughs> what was your dad's response? Uh, my dad's response was, I guess you made this decision. <laughs> <laughs> That's like before you getting ready to get a whooping. Well, I guess yeah. you've made your decision. Made this, this so decision. go get the switch. Um, <laughs> Yeah, go get the switch off, you know. But actually, he was like, go tell your mom to go get the switch because I can't get My dad just wanted me to be happy. Yeah. Um, I know how blessed I am to have the parents that I have and the and the family relationships that I have. And, um, you know, ultimately, it's all about making sure that I'm happy and that I'm doing the, the right things. And that, again... Because I've always been that, I've been that kid all my life that they just let me, you know, they let me go after it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went to, I didn't, when I went off to university, I didn't follow where everyone else was going. I went to the university least likely for a person from Northern Indiana to go to school. I, I when I graduated from university, I already had a job lined up in one place and took on another one. Because I liked the vibe of the, where I was going, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's I've, I've always been that person. And, and again, I lost a piece, a piece of myself for a while trying to be, trying to be this grown up that I think I'm supposed to be. And I left the, and I lost a piece of that, that inner voice in me that says, go for it. Mm -hmm. When I get my ass knocked back down and I tell people every day, I, I, 
God treats us in our own little ways. And I, I feel like God said, bitch, sit your ass down. <laughs> Listen to me. Stop talking. <laughs> Stop talking. You know? <laughs> you know, it's funny, and so Christina. Once, once I start doing that, it's good. It's all good, you know? Yeah, yeah. and I've, I've truly never considered because, you know, most of the time when people answer this question as far as, you know, what encouraged you to go abroad or to want to teach abroad, it's, you know, influences from social media, or I spoke with a friend who was already doing it. Like, I've never considered the fact that, you know, having this autonomy early in life, these leadership roles, you know, being able to, to walk those paths that are less walked, like, that's enough to prepare to say, you know, I've already been in a situation like this. And if it doesn't work, I know that there's still alternatives, but this is what I need to do. Yeah, I think kids. I think kids today aren't taught to to trust their resiliency. Mm-hmm. I think like I think we come from a from an age where the people in our lives taught us to be a little independent and to trust our instincts or our conscience or however you perceive it. And so, I, I think kids today, teenagers today, aren't given that freedom to a make mistakes, yeah. b trust themselves, and, and c know that no matter what they have someone in their in their wheelhouse that they can count on mm-hmm. whether it's a parent or a teacher or what have you kids don't have that today if more more kids had a little bit more of that autonomy yeah you know i i i would feel like they would feel more confident about the decisions they make that they make and it's it's funny like the kids who tend to be the more successful ones in schools have always been those kids. Right, right. Because their parents always been that kind of p- people for them in their life. If we could teach our kids more resiliency, you know, it's it's amazing what they can do if if, if we as an adult trust them to, to fail yeah, and to yeah, go forward. Yeah, I love that. So, Christina, let's go to Kuwait. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, you said Ooh, you were, how long were you in Kuwait? And tell us a little bit about that experience. Okay, so I was in Kuwait for four years, and I thought I was ready, but I did not know that there was differences between, that the Middle East is a diverse place, that, like, what happens in Egypt is not what happens in Morocco, which does not happen in the UAE. (laughs) (laughs) My first couple of months, I get there, first of all, I was freaking hot. I, was, I knew it was going to be hot, but I did not realize how hot it was going to be. I had, like, a couple adjustments to make. So adjustment number one was that I definitely was overwhelmed in that first month in the sense that, like, people will follow you. Men like to follow women there. I don't understand. It's just the way they roll. Okay. You know, I, like, and so that freaked me out the first time that happened. But like, follow you where? After school. Like, all the I, way home? Yeah, like, I, and, like, I went into a different building to avoid this guy from following me. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, I really didn't. And so then I didn't want to go out of my house except to go to school and come home. Those were the two main places I went to. So that was a, like a cultural shift adjustment. An Arab in America is different than an Arab in, in their in, in, in their country. You know what I'm saying? And so the rules and norms that I thought I knew going to like language tables and stuff in Chicago, totally different than what I experienced when I first got there. Mm-hmm. And it, like, I was warned about it, but I didn't think it would happen to me. 
So that was adjustment number one is like I had to feel like I was safe. And the funny thing was it's very, it's 99% of the time very harmless. And once you get over that and you freak them out just a little bit, it's quite harmless. Like nothing happens to you. I felt totally safe in Kuwait after, you know, after I got adjusted. Okay, so uh, I wish number two. I wish the listeners uh, could I'm see sorry. my face right now because I'm like, how is being stalked harmless? Like, <laughs> I gotta you know, take this in. Like, it's it's kind of, I can't even describe it. And like, if you, only thing you have to do is like, go, what are you doing? And like, they freak out. Like, they get really perplexed and like flummoxed and stuff. And like, they start to run off in the other direction. Like, yeah. <laughs> Do it, go, you know. I'm and like me, I'm a smiley, happy person, and like I'm, that's never gonna change about me. But just because my smile does not invite you to follow me home, right? And so, like after that initial time where like I freaked out, I was like, I can't let this freak me out. And like these, my streets, and I and I talked <laughs> to other women who lived in the in the area for a minute, and they told me you just have to yell at them and they'll leave you alone. I was like. Okay. Right. I gotta be mean. I'll do it. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go to this place. And so I will just go to crazy lady and like start yelling at the top of my lungs or like just really face them. Let's turn around and face them. And it, that stopped. You just become a little bit more aware. But she never was in, they will never. And again, 99% of the time, like I can't think of stories of women feeling harmed being followed more so like they really want your number they really want to go out with you but they don't know how they don't have finesse okay Okay. they're adorable but they don't have any finesse and they they don't know how to approach women and it's like a preteen boy (laughs) who realizes that he likes girls and he just doesn't know how to talk to them so they do like the most stupidest thing to get their attention (laughs) that's the category i would put that stuff in okay but yeah but after a while that i get that, that was that small. And then the second thing I had to get used to for me is I, you work in America, you work in education, you work in, in I worked in a charter school and I was, and I was a social worker before. So I'm always like putting in the time. I worked 24 seven in the States, mm-hmm. Monday through Sunday, you know, and Sunday, most of the time I will go to work before going to church and then I'll go to the early morning service and then come back to work. Oh, wow. To get stuff done. Okay. I was, I, that was my life. And then I get to Kuwait and I start working at my school and the day ends at three o'clock and most people, unless you were doing a club or something, were done by 3.30. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Aren't we supposed to be working? what the hell is going on? And like, I did not know how to handle what it was like to be off of work. Oh, wow. Cause you work so much. This is interesting. And okay. So, so I didn't know what that was like. And like my coworkers thought I was just crazy. Like, why are you trying to create more work for yourself? Go home, enjoy the day, go have some coffee, do something else, do something different, you know? But I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know what it, what it was like to live to work, not work to live. You know. Wow. And um, that was another thing I had to learn. And so by the time I got to my third month, and I found my balance, which was I have to do something after work. <laughs> I, I and it helped me get involved in things after school with students. But I also started to appreciate coming home 
at 4.30, taking off my shoes and walking around my apartment with no bra on and taking it for the rest of the day. But I also started to embrace the other things about living on my street that, like, I would not have done before, Mm -hmm. you know, making friends with the Syrian grocer who sells the fresh fruit by my apartment or going to hang. I was never that girl who hung out. I always worked. And so, so hanging out with people and having coffee or shisha and sitting there and just talking until, you know, it's late, you know, that was something that I never did before. And, and now here I am. I get to do what I enjoy doing, have it, make impressions with kids and like be a part of uh, this process with them and still learn to appreciate life a little bit Right. and then travel. Right. You know, the other thing and not feeling guilty about travel, you know, I'm like, I can travel. I can go <laughs> see things. I can try different things. Right. You know? Right. And I, 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 I owe no one else but me that opportunity you know, I think a lot of times I think women, especially black women who come from, you know, who always want to be a help. We do not know what it's like to appreciate living a life for ourselves. And 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 I think going abroad, if anything, depending on the right circumstances, will give you this opportunity. Finally, do some of the things that you always wanted to try and, and love to do, mm-hmm. you know. I love solo travel. I, I do. I embrace it. Mm-hmm. But I also love, love, love just trying something a little different than I would never done before. Like, I picked up rugby. Oh, wow. Know. Okay. Well, well. I wanted to try it, you know. <laughs> but, like, rugby was, like, a, an outlet for me, you know. I, I started, that. like, having, like, little breakfasts at my house, you know, and just having people over. I was, again, I was never that girl before. Mm-hmm. I became that girl. And that was... Kuwait kind of gave me that, and uh, I I started to appreciate life a little bit more. I'm so excited to still do what you do. Right, right. I'm so excited to hear you say that because, you know, I I just feel like, and I know you didn't mention much about being a black woman, but I feel like, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to leaving the state. And I'm not saying that it's only just one thing, but even when you're saying, oh, you know, I was at work all day and my life was work and, you know, you hear the same story with, oh, my life is my children or, you know, for people who are a little older, oh, my life is taking care of my parents. I do believe that it's something that when you leave the States, you have this, it's almost like survival. You have to learn how to build a relationship with yourself. Because at the end of the day, yeah, yeah. you are, are spearheading your whole experience. And that's when those perspectives come in. Like, I'd rather be home because I'm yeah. missing something, right? But, it, yeah, right, I, I love yeah. that. Girl, it's, so, it's like, you you know, it's, just, it's one of those things, like, when, when you really take a step outside of everyone else's stuff and, and have that moment and not feel guilty about getting yeah. into your own things. There's a peace and a freedom that comes with that that no one else can give you. And unfortunately, for a lot of us, we have to go and leave our country to get it. You know? And then you go back. Like, I was like, well, she went back to the state. Wait, wait, wait. I went back, <laughs> but I'm coming back over there. So it's not done. <laughs> 
And you know, that's, that's interesting that you say that because you do, you, you, as you get older, you know, as you've done so many great things that a lot of people will never experience, um, I find that you do have to be very intentional about being careful about your thoughts. Basically, I was having a battle with my mind, not even my inner being, but with my mind. And it was, you're turning 30, you're missing out on life. You know, grandma said you need to be married by now. So I'm like, let me run home. Yeah. Girl, I got home and I'm like, I need to run back. <laughs> it's like once well, you, you know, see the beauty something. Of it is, it's always going to be here. You exactly. Know? Both sides, though. Both sides. Both sides. As yeah. long as you Both wake sides. up, you yeah. have options. So, Christina, yeah. I know you, you spent four years in Kuwait, and currently you are in mm-hmm. Abu Dhabi. Yes. Tell me a little bit about, at least a comparison between those two experiences. Kuwait is still in the Middle East. The UAE is the Middle East. What does that look, feel like? What's your experience? So, now I work at, a, I guess you can say, a top-tier school, you know, and um, it's kind of like working in America again a little bit in the sense that, like, you put in a lot more time. Like, you don't, you have to really, like, fight for your own space and time. But the the funny thing is that is because I know what it's like to say no now. And now that I know, that Quay taught me to learn to value my personal time. Mm. For this job, it took me a minute. It took me like a good six months to do it. But like, I finally was like, you know what? You guys don't get all of me either. Right. I don't care. I don't care what school this is. You, you're not going to get all of me because all of me is not just my job. Yeah. And this school and this place. And so I did the radical thing of not having my school email on any device that that school did not own. And I leave my laptop at work oh. unless when I travel, like for this trip, of course I have my, like my, my email on, on my, on my iPad and on my, and I have my school laptop with me. But when I'm back in Abu Dhabi, it comes off. It's like, I put in my time. Lord knows I'll be working late. Cause I do anyway, cause I just can't help myself. <laughs> but you know what? If you send me an email at nine o'clock at night, don't think you're gonna get a reply back because my email go is not on my phone. And when I leave that school, it's gonna be at the school. That's and, it. and and like I told my principal this, um, <laughs> I made this decision like in like February after like my first that transition to Abu Dhabi was rough because it was going back into like a more Western society. The school I worked at is, is now is well, Kuwait was mostly Kuwaiti students, a Kuwaiti lifestyle, uh, mostly Arab lifestyle. And now I'm at a place where it's a, it's a mixture like um, of expats because UAE is a mixture, mm-hmm. more of a mixture of expats and it's mostly Western and, and stuff like that. And so I remember it was January, January, February. I made that decision in January. It's like, I'm not going to have my email on my phone because I can't wake up in the morning pissed off before I go to work. It's not me. <laughs> I get to work and I've been like purposely at that point, making sure I don't get into work before 730 because I didn't need to be there until 745. 
I was getting there at 6, 630 in the morning, just unhealthy. Oh, wow. I was like, nope, not going to do this. I'm not going to go through this. So I get to work 730 on the nose with my Starbucks. And my principal comes selling into my room asking me if I read his email. And I go, um, hey, and good morning to you, too. How are you today? <laughs> okay. And he was like, so he's like, so did you get the email? I was like, no, because I just got to work. And he was like, you don't read your email at home? I said, you don't pay me to read my email at home. Go ahead, girl. Like, do you want to pay Go me ahead. more to read my email at home? He was just like, boy, he'd had nothing to say. I said, when I get settled and I check my email, I would love to read your email that you sent me and give you a response. Have a great day. I'll talk to you <laughs> later. And Oh, wow. He didn't know what to do. And then I just started saying no. Like, can you guys stay late on so-and-so or, like, do something late at night? I mean, I, him or my coworkers, I would be like, no, I have plans. Mm-hmm. If Even if my plan was to go home and watch Real Housewives of Atlanta, no! they didn't need to know that. <laughs> they did not need to know that. I got my but ratchet like, appointment after school. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't have all my evenings. You cannot. And But that doesn't make me work any less, you know? Exactly. You don't, you don't need to know that I go in on most Friday mornings because I'm awake and I like the quiet of the day and I'm, I like to have my office in order before the week starts off. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know that sometimes I will leave at four because I, my brain is tired. But knowing that I got also like coming back at like seven o'clock at night because, again, I like the quiet. I like that space mm-hmm. of 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 doing what I need to do, yeah. you know, you don't need to know all of that to know that I'm good at what I do. Right. And you know what? You pay me my salary, but you don't pay to have all of me. Right. And I used to have that attitude in, in, in the States where all my life, all my time was my job. And Kuwait taught me that it doesn't have to be that way. Right. And, and so when I started like putting these, like there, these parameters on my work and what I did, I felt like I was a better counselor for it. I felt like I was a better person for it. I started carving out a social life, um, in this bigger city because Mm -hmm. of it. I, again, I stopped feeling extremely guilty when I would miss out on something, Right. you know, or I feel like I'm letting someone down because I'm not, you know, right. And again, yeah. it's that whole like thing as as black women, we do this all the freaking time mm-hmm. and we just, we can't help ourselves. Right. I don't know. It's, our DNA. <laughs> it's embedded in the blood. It. Right. It's embedded. Mm-hmm. It's so embedded. So, oh man, it's so embedded. So I know you've touched on it a little bit. Let's go a little further. Uh, so you've given oh, us a Lord. lot, right? <laughs> you've given us a lot about your, your day-to-day um, work life. Let's get into the yeah. personal life. So we know, and I'm going to say we as in for the people who follow people on Instagram or whatever social media, folks that are living Mm -hmm. in Abu Abu Dhabi and Dubai are prime, you know, it's access to all of these great, wonderful things. So tell me, what is your Uh, personal life in the infamous Abu Dhabi? (laughs) This is going to sound really crazy. I, my personal life in Abu Dhabi is one that, like, I've been learning to cultivate more friendships than, than relationships. 
I I was going out for a little bit when I first moved there. It's like it's it's you never want to not go out, but it's the quality of people that you want to spend your time with. Mm, and mm, um, yes, yeah, like the quality wasn't up to par for me, and so I. I took a step back from it and was like, I need to like just meet people to hang out with and people who I do not work with. And so um, I use like a meetup group and I end up most of the time being the only like American, uh, African-American in a group of like British and African okay, <laughs> okay. people. Okay. And, and so from that, like getting a chance to go out a little bit more and get exposure to a whole different perspective of being black in the diaspora and you know I dated for a little bit but dating I, I think dating is harder in the UAE because oh I'm um, so happy to hear you outside say of education their job schedules are just as crazy I was seeing a guy for a little bit and but he is a um, construction engineer really sweet really sweet guy but wait, his project wait, was up what's near his, what's his name I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do I know him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so, yeah, I uh, I did meet them in the regular Tinder sense because Tinder is the way that people just go okay. in this area. Or Bumble. Tinder and Bumble are the big two. Okay. I met them through a book club. And, you know, we start enjoy our conversations, enjoy have a good time. But with their project being closer to Jebel Ali, which is a good hour away. And with, even, even though like I try to own my schedule, I still have a decently, I don't get home straight at four o'clock, five o'clock every day. Like I might have a university visiting or I, I've been, you know, I run a club, stuff like that. So my hours are, you know, change up or, or again, I like to do other stuff. And so it's just hard to come together when you're dating someone who's not in the same field. And I feel like a lot of my friends go through that too a little bit, where mm-hmm. if you meet someone who works in a different industry, those industry hours are can be killer depending on what they do. I've embraced the friendship part aspect of my life. Do I want to have more of an active social dating life? I do. But at the same time, it's hard to date when you're spending a week in Holland for work. You know? No, we will not use those excuses. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Why can't I use that excuse? Because, I want to use that. <laughs> because as a person, as a person that knows that, you know, the EdPat journey, the EdPat experiences, it never turns right. off. It never turns off. Like our lives are going to be based in movement and mobility and travel. Yeah. And, and my thing is what I need is a husband that works from home so you can pack uh-huh. up your laptop, pack your suitcase, and we're going to be living this life together, you know? And, I, and, I, and sometimes I, I was very, for a minute there, I was definitely on the, on the passport tip, like, if you can't, if you don't have the mobility to travel with me, then we're going to have some issues, you know? And it's kind of like, I had to check my own privilege in that sense. First of all, the realization that you have privilege when you're in America and you work abroad is like yes. stunning. Yes. You know, like, you're like, what is this? Wait, black people uh, and privilege? Like, does privilege? that go together? <laughs> what is that? That's like, that's like a Tiger Woods dream. What the hell is that? You know? But I have privilege. Oh. I do not understand. <laughs> but 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 yeah, like 
I, I was going out with this, you know, Indian guy, really sweet. Again, sweetheart, smart guy, like knows like two languages and stuff, but his passport limits him. And so right. okay. if I have a, if I have a long weekend and I want to see something or I want to visit a friend in a different country, I can just up and go. He cannot. And that turns into longer conversations about why don't you just want to stay or yeah. or what have you but like i i'm not here to just stay, stay around and hang out and do the same over and over again it was like if i have a little bit of time and i can run off and do something or share my experiences with someone who wants to come visit me that's that's something i want to do i don't want to hinder my my progress in doing that yeah um and so you like start, you kind of start to realize that my American passport gives me a hell of a lot more freedom of choice and movement than a person who does not have one. Right. And that becomes an issue when when a lot of men from different societies is like that alpha male kind of thing going on, you know, where their movement is limited. But if you're their woman, you, you need to stick with your man. That. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I'm so glad that you're bringing up the passport privilege. It is a huge yeah. deal, not even just from an overseas standpoint, but more of a, how do you say it? Um, it, it like lifts the burden off, right? It's this racial burden right. that we carry as, as far as being black women in America. Having that right. American passport, and of course I can't speak on behalf of everybody, but it's like you are actually human, right? You get to be part of something, but still navigate it from a different class and be perceived in a different way, all still while embodying your blackness. You don't have to take yeah. it off. You don't even have to take you it off. <laughs> you have to pretend to be anything more than who you are. Like, I, I joke around with a friend of mine and said, the only thing we have to be is black and female. And That's everything it. else is just like, Well, well you know, and American. Don't forget that. We got to keep American. the American too. <laughs> and American. Yeah. And like, and, and, and like, again, like you don't realize like how much of a privilege that is. Yeah. And because in our country, we're not taught to value our citizenship. We're, we're taught to value our color of our skin. And so as right. soon as you leave your country, I even experienced that when I was in the UK when I was 19 and being referenced as American and not black, black. American mm -hmm. or African American, just American was mind blowing to me. You know, my friends who I was in the, in this program with, I was one of two black females and, and she's my bestie. Like we've been friends like forever. We travel together. It's, that's our relationship. Like both of us were just like remarking, like you guys don't get it. It was like, you will always be American when you're back in the States, but we will never be just American at home. Yeah. We go, yeah. When we go back to Indiana, we're, we're black. Right. You know? Right. But so, what, as soon as you cross that ocean, you're It's American. a different experience. So tell me, you because know? this is, this is a great segue into kind of focusing on regardless, you can't take off you know, the color of your skin. So have you had any issues with, um, and not just issues, but even great experiences with being black American and especially in the context of, of coworkers or other Americans, like what is that navigation? One of the things I, so I, being light skinned, I guess, I used to be teased a lot for me in high yellow, you know, cause light you know, we're in a black city. <laughs> 
you know, like we have we have color issues. You know, <laughs> we just have color issues as as, pe- as a people. And um, one of the things I noticed, and I picked up on my cousin. I had a cousin come visit me about three years ago, and she was graduating. She's in her senior year in college and stuff like that, and she wanted to come visit. And so I said, "Come on out." Just get here. I take care of everything else. And we get we get here, and we're driving around. I'm introducing her to all my all my friends, um, my range of friends, but from different places around the world. And like we're out on the street, just walking around. And she's like, "It's so beautiful and brown here." She's like 21. I was like, "Oh my god, that's such a sweet, innocent thing to say." <laughs> but then, like, you like wake up and like, "Yeah, it's so beautiful and brown here." The shades of brown. Yes. It's this gives you a sense of belonging a little bit. Now, I, I think the issues of color and race always happens within the workplace, um, for sure. Uh, in Kuwait, um, the difference between working in Kuwait and working in Abu Dhabi for me um, has definitely been that adjustment. Kuwait is a place where a lot of people don't want to, they don't proclaim that they want to be there in their first, when they first get hired there. It's not the sexy place to be. Dubai is sexy. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Abu Dhabi is sexy. Kuwait, people are like, what the fuck are you going to Kuwait for? You know? <laughs> Dry like, desert? Where is Kuwait? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can't drink there? You can't get no bacon in Kuwait? Oh, like... I forgot. Wait, I forgot that Kuwait, <laughs> you can't drink. You can't drink. Oh, well, we, we drank. Remember when I was there? I saw I all the, we, the we potato liquor coming from the base. <laughs> Kuwait is never on anyone's like, you know. Wait, Christina, we cannot, we cannot pass <laughs> we, this we moment. We in Kuwait. Wait, because <laughs> yeah. first of all, can we talk about these water bottle pint liquor? Like, can oh. we can we take a second for you to describe this? Oh, girl. So <laughs> <laughs> you have a guy. You the guy, guy, right? Broad man from want, the fifth floor. Broad man or, his, or a broad man name is like, you know. Abdullah or like <laughs> Broadman from India or Bangladesh or Pakistani. Okay. <laughs> One of brother man, you're like, hey, hey, you know, you can get like, you get a water bottle. And it's the funny thing is like, I, I always thought that they were just liquor bottles. Like seriously, <laughs> my first like couple of months, I thought these water bottles were liquor bottles. Like, like oh, that's that what they like sell that? date rum in. Right. And the coconut rum. No, that's it's actual water. It was it was actual water in that bottle mm-hmm. before they put out liquor in it. And so you get a hookup. You know a guy who knows a guy. You store up for a rainy day, or you sneak stuff in. You know I wait. Don't get too much story. info. We don't want the embassy listening. Uh, oh, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> well, let's just say you have a friend who knows a friend who always can get you a bottle of something. Well, I would love so. to say that that coconut rum is the biz. It's so good. The biz. It's so good, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the and coconut it misses is well coming everything. from Thailand. And then because, like, every place you go, you always end up taking your own water in the first place. No one looks at you none the wiser when you pull out your own water bottle and you put a little something in your glass. Right. That coconut <laughs> rum with some lemon and mint. Wait. 
Oh my gosh. So yeah, even wait, public intoxication in a non-alcoholic country. (laughs) Hey, me again. I I got to Kuwait. I thought it was like 21 again. I never drank so much my first year. I love it. It was ridiculous. I love it. And I wasn't even bad. Like, but like then you have friends who made wine, you know, like you just always had somebody. I had a neighbor and they left like the, the following year, but her. So the teacher worked at our school and her husband, to me, he was a, um, in the, in Canada, he was a laborer. You can make money as a laborer in Canada, but you can't make money in the Middle East as a laborer because labor is so cheap. Okay. So he took his passion for home brewing. He had like a little like micro brewery going on in their apartment. I love it. Like, and he made lunches. The boy could cook. What? And so like he would sell... His wife would work at the school, and then, like, he'll take orders for, like, lunches and make lunches for people. <laughs> and then he always had, like, two flavors of, of microbrew a month. And so being his neighbor, like, I always I always like to bake. And so, like, I would bake something, and he'd be like, oh, Christine, that smells so good. He gave me an idea for a new flavor for my beer. I was like, okay, bet. Like, just make some. I'll come over. We'll sit there and, like, have, like, cookies. And, like, a flavor brew that he had concocted from, like, smelling some of the... He was freaking amazing. Wow. Entrepreneurship at its finest. I'm telling you. Wow. I'm telling you. You you can do whatever. Well, well, you can't, but it happens. You can't. Not in the... the, Yeah. Just don't get busted. (laughs) But, yeah, I don't know if we pulled out anything when you visited or not. But, like, we definitely knew how to get down. Remember, we were at the house party... And there was a DJ yeah. on the in the hallway, and oh, yeah. I yeah. was so confused about what was going on. I was just, <laughs> first of all, who are these tattooed men, <laughs> like neck tattoos and everything? Like, I know y'all not teaching. And people just show up, you know, and it's always a good time. It was always a good time, you know. Yeah. It was like, get this side of Ratchet, just a little bit, just a tad bit Ratchet, but like, <laughs> it's always it. a good time. I used to love house parties, man. Like, an introvert. Like, I have to take a nap before I go out. I don't I do crowds very well. I can sit in my feelings all day and have a book and just be fine. But having house parties gave me an opportunity to be a hostess and always kept me busy. And so mm-hmm. as long as everyone else is having a good time, I'm okay about setting out the food and, like, moving the trash around and stuff like that. I have friends who would make me throw things at my on my floor in my apartment building. But I also loved it too. Okay. Because <laughs> I also got a chance to take care of people after the party was over. And it's like the best parts is when the parties are over. It's like you're hanging out in your living room, bodies on the floor. Oh, <laughs> like a big slumber out. party. But but at the same time, you have like these wonderful conversations with people from different perspectives, and you can talk until until you hear the call to prayer in the morning, and it's like such a beautiful thing. And again, that diversity level of like thought and types of people came from a place that people never wanted to go to in the first place. It was, Kuwait is never number one choice on people's list, and so that diversity of thought and places and perspective was different. People want to come to Abu Dhabi. People want to go to Dubai. They read enough about it. They've seen the Sesame City movie and think everything is is cool. Oh, yeah, I forgot about but, that. But, yeah. 
you switch over from a, from a place where kind of like give us your tired, your, your poor and your needy for a job. No, don't you say that. Over, I'm just being sarcastic. <laughs> but you switch over to a place where everyone wants to be. And like, it, it definitely, the dynamic changes. I, I found it, I found it more, I found it harder to be perfectly honest. I'm, I'm one of only three women of color on, on our whole campus staff. In Kuwait, I was not the only one. I'm the only black person in some form of administrative role at my school, at my current school. That shit's hard. Yeah. And like you look and you look around at the student, the student body got a hell of a lot more diverse, which is what I really wanted. I wanted to work with different kinds of students and be exposed to different kinds of things. But because of of where it's located and and where people want to be, the the dynamic in the workplace changed. I found it difficult. I really did. And then like I found myself being just I think I've become I became not more aggressive, but definitely more like point blank on stuff at at, at my current role. Mm-hmm. Because Nothing bothers me more than white people who think that they have, because they work internationally, that they think that they have this right to comment on society. Like, you don't have that right. So give me an example. What what does that mean? So, for example, um, so there was in a a student WhatsApp group recently, and um, my principal, who I believe is awesome, my current principal, she's amazing. I really like working with her, um, and I feel like she trusts me, and she has my opinion and stuff like that. Um, so recently, on a student WhatsApp group, um, they were discussing something, and one of the students wrote the N-word within the WhatsApp group. Students commented on it, saying, you know, you shouldn't say that, and like the kids like, there's nothing wrong with it, and saying rap music, da 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 This is the exchange in the WhatsApp group. And so my principal, and I'm in a, in a meeting with my coworkers, and my principal uh, turns to me and asks me, would you be comfortable possibly having a discussion about the use of the word and why, you know, the context behind it, why, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. I was like, I'll go being the token black person oh, in this goodness. school. Sure. <laughs> Which one made people hella uncomfortable. And then my coworkers, who are both white, they were like, we can talk about that, too. And I like I took a moment. I was like, in my head, I was like, should I say something? Should I not? And then I then I, I felt the need to say it. I said, listen. I said, I get that as counselors, we need to be comfortable with talking about all different types of topics. But because you've never been called that word, right. you really don't have the right to have that conversation. I'm more than willing to have the conversation and talk about it because it affects me. Right. And then they got offended. Good. Like, <laughs> good. <laughs> when do white folks get stop thinking that because they used to be the majority, because they're not that majority anymore, but because of their stature and their privilege that they've always had, that they can comment on everything. Everything. I'm the expert, and so I can I'm I can put expert. this on my resume that I'm multicultural and I know these. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't mind calling it for what it is. Like, listen. If anyone else had this conversation, it would be a fly on the wall 
situation and looks like liberal white privilege on his head because they're talking about this uncomfortable topic, you know. But if you don't listen to the music, if you don't get the music, and you're not part of the culture too, you really, and you have someone in your office who 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 is all about it, that person should be the one having the conversation. And see, there's- Let there's... me own that conversation. There's a piece of it that I agree with, and there's also a piece that mm-hmm. I disagree with. I do feel yeah. like if you did say, if, if you said no, like that's completely your space and, and your choice to just say, you know what, I'd rather not be tokenized, essentialized, like, no, I'm not claiming that. These your people. Right. But then yeah. I, I also <laughs> feel like one of the reasons, and, and this is the space that I've been in, one of the reasons why talking about race and racism one of the things that makes it so difficult is the fact that we continue to avoid it. Yeah. I've been in this space recently where I'm not going to say I'm the token, but I'm the only black person in a room full of white people talking about oppression and hidden curriculum and why we should not be reading Huckleberry Finn in ninth and 11th grade anymore. So it's like Mm -hmm. being in that space, it's uncomfortable for everybody. And myself included. So I would never come up and say, oh, it's so easy for me to, you know, be able to talk about this. You know, you can't. You can't, especially if you want to include the emotional baggage that's with it. Like, I shouldn't even have to be hearing the N-word from anybody that doesn't look like me. Because you don't know what it feels like. Let alone what it means who can say it. No, you don't know the feeling that's behind it. So... I, I, I and I agree with you on that because like some because like you're not the poster child you're not supposed to be the poster child for all things black right you know in in, the, in that white space <laughs> and at the same time I would be so pissed if a white person feels like they can comment more about it and give the history and the baggage around it with it and feel comfortable doing that when you have not experienced you. that right whenever you need that wake up call that you are still black and you're still a black American shit like that comes out mm-hmm. you know. Like, you get too comfortable and you think this is not an issue anymore. It's an issue, you know, and they'll come out in its own little way. And, like, I I do, I, I go back to when I was in college and, like, me and a girlfriend of mine, we were, like, the only, again, the only two, you know. And we felt like it was our our job. This is 90s, you know. We, it was our job to, like, every group every presentation that we had to do for a class, we're going to find the black angle about it. You know, <laughs> cause no one else was going to talk about it. And, you know, and, and I do have a battle with that with myself now, because part of that is not my job anymore. And I, it's not my job because there's knowledge out there that you can proceed, but, then I don't want you to read this information and have a and come up with your own opinion based on just information. You need to put a human face to what's going on with it. Yeah. It's such a it's such a loaded area of concern. So what I did for my principal because it came out right before I went on this trip um, is that I found a video with Tanahashi Coates talking about the yes, use of the N word and who can use it. Uh, yes, such I a saw great, that. Yeah. 
And it's and it's, and it's and it's such a great way to to describe why and the space that is given and and like I and I sent that I sent it to him. I was like, here's some information for you. We can discuss when I come back if it hasn't been discussed already. You know, that kind of thing. Um, but I do I battle that every day. And like the funny thing was is that I didn't have to battle it as much in Kuwait as I do now, in a city that like. I, on surface, appear to have a little bit more freedom in the sense that I can go to the grocery store and pick up what I want, that I can have a bottle of wine that's not out of a water bottle in my house, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. At the same time, I left a place that looked like it had limitations to a place that actually does have limitations. Mm, mm. And, and, and it made me kind of reset a little bit. And, again, you know, I have to constantly reevaluate my, what my role is in it. Yeah. Um, for my students and for myself. And see, that's interesting because um, I recently released the episode with Yolanda about microaggressions yeah. and just kind of talking about how, you know, racism in another country is almost, it can almost be perceived as a curiosity. Like, like sometimes it's not meant to be malicious. It's just that, you know, you're, you're this difference, right? right. But especially right. when it comes to coworkers, um, you know, people who come from the same background. It's so interesting how they get this. Um, I mean, I, I would say the same thing as curiosity. You know, maybe it is them searching for this expert um, model or, you know, if it's them wanting to truly be intercultural. I know all about, you know, competencies with everybody's culture. We're all, you know, and if it's colorblindness, I don't know. But I feel like it's just, it's worse. It's a lot worse outside of the States. Like you have permission to say the things that you know or do the things or speak on things that you know, you don't even know anything about it. Right. Just because you have a food more stamps in your passport, you think that now you can comment on the condition of the world. Right. You know? When really, you and really don't know. You don't know. And then like your perception of what that world is, is colored by what type of place that you're working in, you know? You're not interacting with, you know, if you were at a more public school, if you were working with more Emiratis or what have you, would you still have the same opinions that you have when when you have to adjust to the systems that are part of the population, not the not the system that you want to put on the population, you know? Um, why can't they? Or And it comes out in, in the way they talk, too. And, I, and it's so funny, too, because, like, I... I deal with a lot of the Arab and Emirati kids. I just happen the only black girl and I deal with a lot of Arab and Emirati kids. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's like it's like it's just the way that that some teachers talk in regards to those kids is the same way that teachers in the states would talk about black boys or or poor kids. You know, they will put those same labels, those same issues. Why can't they? Or mm, their people. I see what you're saying. Okay. And, and I hear that language and I'm like, you think that you have A, the right to comment on someone's culture. You don't appreciate it. And you wonder why that kid is not committing themselves 100% in your right. classroom. Right. Or, or, or just stops caring about you. Right, I'm here because I have to yeah. be you. Here, I don't want to build a relationship with you. I won't. Le- that's what yeah. that I won't learn from you comes from. I won't learn from you. Yep, and 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 like I have a I have a kid who doesn't even want to come back. His 
the only reason why they're at the school is because the parent says that this is the best school, you know, and, and like the kid was saying that no one gets his culture, you know, and I was sharing that with someone and like the person commented and I should have expected it, but I wasn't commenting. It was like, well, if your culture is one that promotes laziness and da, 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 da. Oh no. I was like, and again, I like when that stuff comes out, I have to take a pregnant pause because oh. I just don't want to like snap off this right away. But it's like, I said, I said, I can see how that is the perception that some of you may have. But there's more to their culture than just that. And how often do we really get a chance to get to know it? It's with the exception of a couple holidays a year. And the thing that gets me the most is this, this, and I don't know, it's a lack of internal dialogue, right? A lot of us mm-hmm. do not, and I don't, I'm not going to say it's a privilege, but a lot of us do not sit back and and try to understand what we're coming to the table with, right? It's not a lot of, especially when it comes to, you know, white teachers, it's not a lot of stopping and thinking about their own conditioning. Why do I think this way? Who influenced me to think this way? What type of schooling did I go through? What was expected of me? And when you bring those, first of all, your own negative experiences, because everybody struggles. So regardless of what happened with you, but then it's like, the only thing that you can equate to, you know, um, I don't even know how to describe that because that's the, the siesta, right? <laughs> Anything that yeah, you could yeah. equate to taking care of yourself, inner being, mental health, you know, not always being that fast-paced Western, I got to do this, I got to do this next. It's laziness? Uh, really? Yeah. Like that was the really, best thing yeah. that you could come up with? Uh, and you and they think about so you know and, and having further conversation with the kids like I wonder if you think about some of the teachers that you do enjoy working with or whatever and the teachers that come up for that student are teachers who did not grow up in the lifestyle of like growing up as I think you call it third culture kids you know okay. where okay. their privilege gave them this advantage where they gotten to travel a lot in their life they went to multiple schools and that kind of thing it's more like the teachers who like came into it late in the game, um, who worked in a, in a different series of areas or worked in other places within the Gulf or within the region. And so they at least have some kind of appreciation and understanding of, of the other things that the culture values. And, 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 those, and, and that ends up being the people, the same people that I end up hanging out with, you know, after work and stuff. <laughs> it's those the real, people. the real people. Yeah. The real people, and 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 you do have those 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 kind of teachers and people who work in in the field and in the movement. Again, like if anything, that was a huge that was a huge adjustment for me. Thinking that this because the student body is more diverse does not necessarily mean that the staff is, and that was a wake up call for me. You know, yeah, and. I, I feel like the little things I do every day just to just to be me no matter what and be the kind of counselor that I need to be for my students no matter what are the little battles and victories that I, that I lay down on a regular basis you know I love it when I fuck them up with different types of hair I really do <laughs> I didn't expect this did you <laughs> and then you can tell they want to touch it you know <laughs> And it like kills them that they they know they shouldn't, 
but you can see that like that internal battle going on inside their heads about mm-hmm. it. You yes. Know? Or how how one I remember this too. It was it was a, a junior high school girl. Um and she had she had a fro out. And I wear my natural most of the time, except when I travel. I just don't feel like doing my hair when I travel. And that's and that's all out of my laziness, if anything. I I love my natural, I love my curls. And at the same time, like the process of having a natural, rocking natural hair when you're traveling through different climates. Ooh, and shit, yes, it's just not yes. get it braided up, get it done. Yes, move it out pull it back, way. right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I saw this girl, this girl, and I, was, and I get I come around her fro, and 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 she's like, "Thank you." She said, "I see you with your natural," and I was like, "I know I can wear my natural too." I was like, "Yeah." All five of us, we're going to walk our naturals. All five black people <laughs> on this campus, we're just going to share hair care products. Yes. You know, or yes. like, we share, you know, like, who braided your hair? Where did you get your hair braided? Or... <laughs> I love that. I love and, that. And, it's, and I embrace that. I embrace that stuff. Like, when 13 Reasons Why came out and everyone was, like, freaking out about suicide and having these conversations about it, and the UAE and the, and the Gulf really like has these strict rules on the things that you can talk about in the classroom setting. Like, so it's definitely one of the haram things that you can never really dig into. Mm-hmm. Although it happens, everyone's like freaking out about what should we do? And da, 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 da. And I, I was impressed about it. I was like, I'm going to trust that if my kid is going through crisis that they trust me enough to at least get some help, yeah. you know, to come to me that they know that, you know, that I won't pass judgment. And so, one day I'm working late in my office because like everybody else is gone and like it was like four thirty and I'm just knocking out some stuff and cleaning up my office a little bit. Just taking my time. I had my music up, just kicking it in my office. I had a couple of my favorite students from that first year um pop by and they love to talk. They just they're just guys who love to talk and they had a couple of their other friends with them. And we're just talking and stuff and they're like, So Miss McDade and I was like, Yeah, what's up? And they were like have you um, watched that show? And I'm ready to hear 13 Reasons Why. And he's like, have you watched that show, Dear White People? Oh. I was like, okay. Right, he wasn't ready for this one. Like, you had like a couple of Arabs and like a white girl and like uh, like uh, another European, you know, in that group, whatever. <laughs> they always hung out together. And they're like, and they're all going to the States to study. And they're like, is it really like that in the States when you study? Is it, are those, they live in this sheltered bubble of like Gap commercial United Benetton ad and they, you know, yep. they don't, they, Does this really you know, exist? they want to have this conversation. Yeah. And like I said, I said, well, I have not watched it yet, but how about you tell me some of the things, some of the things that you, that you see in it that concern you about studying in the States since you're going to the States in the fall. And we start having this like, huge conversation about just the dynamics of gender and race mm-hmm. and acceptance and colorism. And then we dig into like more on the colorism part because it happens in the Arab world too. Yeah. Or like, yeah. Or like the whole, I grew up being told I shouldn't see color, but like, I like seeing color. I like, <laughs> I like embracing people's cultures and like, it, it turned to me wanting to go home around like four thirty, five o'clock and us sitting there talking until like six thirty at night 
Because these are issues that wow. you don't want to talk to someone about. Yeah. And like my presence being there and being open enough to admit that I don't know everything, but I'll listen to what your concerns are. And I'm, I'm happy that you trust me to have this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Those are the reasons why I stay. Yep. And, and those are the reasons why, like every time I think like I want to move on for, to a different school or a different setting, stuff like that pops up where like, I got placed there for a reason. Like I had the Kuwait moment because I needed to get over the initial fear. And now the real work is beginning where I am right now. Yeah. It's a lifelong, lifelong commitment. And I'm so glad to see you in it. I'm so glad to see you in it. Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being part of this interview. I really appreciate you being transparent and open and sharing your experience with us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. Join us in the Abroad and Education private group on Facebook. And for more information about the show, go to matriarchdm.com. Thank you.